Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. It's Wednesday, October 21st, and we're recapping the Virginia Tech win against Boston College. Another 300-yard rushing performance, this time led by QB1. We recap the ACC Week 7 action, preview the upcoming games in Week 8, dive deep into the Wake Forest-Virginia Tech matchup this week. We do some lines, but before that, Tim, what's going on? I've got a problem. Justin, I've I've got a huge problem. I'm addicted to apple juice, man, and I, I got to kick the habit, but three weeks ago, I mean, this is obviously any parent, you, you always have apple juice in the house. I typically haven't drank it. Just It's not something I've ever really been interested in downing. Um, and, you know, it was about 1 o'clock. I was extremely thirsty, and I didn't want water. So I grabbed some apple juice. That was the only thing in the fridge. And my lord, that is a good beverage, and it's very bad for you. Um, but now I can't shake it. Every time I go in there, I'm you know, I'm taking a pinch out of the jug or... You know, I'm pouring a little glass, and, and, you know, by the end of the day, I'm tallying all these cups, and I must have drank, you know, three or four half glasses of apple juice. And uh, what do I have next to me while I'm podcasting? A little bit of apple juice. I got a problem, Justin. There you go. Yeah, it's, uh, I feel like it's not going to be long before, like, 100% juice is just going to be outlawed in this country. (laughs) It needs to be. Because it has so much sugar. I mean, remember when, like, Michelle Obama tried to, like, make candy illegal? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I kind of think that might happen with juice. Because, I mean, I can't drink it. I can't drink it. I, I'm i like you. I'll, it'll be in the refrigerator. If I crack that cap open, it's over. Yeah. Because I, I will have that jug gone probably by the end of the day or early the next, depending on what period of time I open it. I'm the same way with orange juice. I oh, yeah. love orange juice oh my gosh but it's got so much sugar dude it does and i just i can't i can't do it i can't look at it i can't look at the label i know what i'm putting in my body is poison but it tastes so good it tastes so good and here's the thing you can't just have one one glass which is where you know the folks at big apple are just sitting back and laughing at us as consumers because they know they've got you that serving size that comes in the jug i don't know what is like a half gallon in the store roundabouts that's good for maybe three hours of apple juice consumption. And then you have the cold shakes and sweats and you're down in the fruit juice aisle at Food Lion looking at all these hybrid cocktail versions of apple juice they have now. I went to Walmart. They have a honey crisp apple juice as if you needed to be able to choose which strain of apple juice you wanted. And so, of course, it showed up in my house magically and it's better than regular apple juice. I, it's bad and it yeah. needs to stop and it needs to stop now. You know, I don't I'm not up to speed enough on the juice scene um, oh, it's a scene. to know like is is the five calorie a serving you know diet cranberry juice is that like diet pepsi to where it's not good for you Probably. or is that okay to drink it's just so stressful oh it is to be on any kind of drink aisle in america these days <laughs> like oh Here's the diet soda section. Oh, but by the way, it's got this in here that may or may not be harmful to you when you're 87 right. years old. Yeah, your brain's like, going to okay, be jello. Well, so, yeah. congratulations. I'll, I'll take the chance, I guess. I guess. I mean, if it was so harmful, why can I just pick it up and buy it? I don't know. Without an age restriction. These are the questions I have. Have you ever been carded for buying like a monster? No, is that a thing? 
Should be. Apparently in some places it is. I've I've just intermittently been carded for buying a monster oh, energy drink in the geez. zero sugar kinds as well. No, I, I couldn't I just, give those up. I, I don't up. understand what's going on. I, I couldn't give those up. You, you yeah, get rid of my sugar-free energy drinks, we're going to have a problem. Um, yeah. That, that's yeah, my it's, one, you know, it's been, one it's been drink that I could not probably go without between the bangs and the monster and everything else that I'm consuming, which I'm sure is just pickling my liver and giving me 18 t- kinds of cancer 20 years from now. I, I can't get enough of it. You know, the juice be damned. I can, I can get rid of that. But the energy drinks have got to stay in the rotation. But again, it's like, you know, they're like, oh, you should know what you're putting in your body. We get on baseball players for taking an over-the-counter supplement and testing positive. But we have no idea what we're putting oh, in our bodies. No. no. My body is just we went a from slurry this, of, of caffeine and supplements. Here we are. And nootropics and I don't know, man. There's there's so much trash yeah, in my I bloodstream. Mean, if I recap my beverage selection of the day, probably had about nine cups of coffee. Of course. Uh, of course, with some sugar-free creamer in there because I hate taste of sugar in my coffee uh maybe like two bottles of water a flavored water and i'm drinking a a diet beverage right now yeah that's a good that's a good rotation that's typically what mine is like too it's just a lot of caffeine though right yeah it's a lot it's a lot but you know i mean i remember like i'm the first bang i have you ever had a bang Uh, that's a weird no um, i don't think so the energy drink uh if you've never had one, the yeah, first time you have one, there's a very nice buzz that you get the first time. Like you feel, I mean, it's like probably cocaine light, never done cocaine, but probably a good proxy for what that buzz kind of feels like. You feel like you could conquer the world. Um, and then after about your third bang and maybe a week, that buzz is gone, but your body can't stop. You know, you still want that bang. You still want that, you know, because they make good flavors. Where else are you going to get a sugar-free energy drink that tastes like uh, Sour Patch Kids? Where else are you going to get it? Right. So. Yeah. I don't know. But don't my know. body is just building up yeah, these tolerances I mean, I, that are unnatural at this point in my life. Well, I think everything's unnatural unless it's water, right? Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of the world we live in. But now there's all these flavored waters. Yes. There's like the sparkling waters and like, I, is that do I get the same benefit from drinking uh LaCroix or like an ice flavored water as I do I from know. regular water? I like that's know. a serious question. I have no idea. I, I wish I wish I had I mean the probably not, that. right? Yeah. But yeah. I, hey, if we've got any water scientists out there, let us know. Yeah. Just tweet at us. Cause it's a question I, I bring up occasionally with my wife. I'm like, is this like real water? I, I need to. It know. sounds like real intelligent conversation in my house, but well, I mean, I'm sure there are some. I think H2O it's one of the mysteries of life that maybe that all of us have the answer, right? I mean, there's somebody out there who dedicates their life to yeah. studying macronutrients and things, and I'm sure this has been put to the test. And if I had the ability or the desire to go Google it, I would, but I don't want my Lacroix ruined for me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, we all have that ability, right, to Google it. But the problem is now, if you Google something, like you're going to be told you're going to be dead in about five years. Amen. Everything. Based off of the amount of intake that you've had. So I'm not about that kind of negative news. I just need to know, you know, is it bad for me or or not? Yeah. Am I going to be good? Yeah, just generally speaking. That's all. Yeah. I'm with you. Anywho, 
um, football. It is football season. So, Tim, uh, what a game. What a game. Virginia Tech 40, Boston College 14. It's always a great a great day if you're a Hokies fan and you beat Boston College. Oh, yeah. um, at least when we were in school, uh, you know, even going back to the big, like, the Big East days. Um, you know, Boston College and Virginia Tech, it's it's a bit of a, a rivalry, a little bit of an under-the-radar rivalry, uh, but a rivalry nonetheless and one that really came to prominence in the uh, 06 and 07 and 08 years where nope. uh, Virginia nope. Tech and... Don't need to talk about it. Matt Ryan was was uh was going up head to head and you know bc had the uh the upper hand in the regular season but virginia tech beat them two years in a row in the acc championship to go into the orange bowl so always have that uh in our back pocket but yeah either way bc had kind of uh you know dwindled down over the last few years and you know it seems like this year they're maybe moving in the right direction um but from a from an offensive standpoint for virginia tech i gotta tell you 8.2 yards per play against a pretty solid Boston College defense. This is a Virginia Tech team that's now averaging 42 points per game. That's ninth in the country, second in the ACC behind Clemson. The last time they averaged 40 points per game was in 2000 when Michael Vick and Lee Suggs was the QB1, RB1 combo. So pretty good company. Uh, you could argue that maybe it's the best QB1, RB1 we've had since then in Hendon Hooker and Khalil Herbert. Yeah. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe so. I mean, you got Tyrod Taylor, Ryan Williams in there as well. Yeah. But, you know, I think we just need to start accepting that Virginia Tech is going to score a lot of points. And they're going to be very adventurous on the defensive side of the ball until further notice. So... It's just a different brand of football that we're used to, you know. We're having a lot of fun on the offensive side of the ball, watching the Vice Squad just part the Red Sea week in and week out. <sighs> Khalil Herbert just kind of cruising through defenses, you know. Hendon Hooker, you know, just dominating on the ground in this game. Most rushing yards by a Virginia Tech quarterback since Michael Vick, you know, in a, in a single game. Yeah. But on the defensive side of the ball, Tim, it's kind of a identity crisis because you know this is Blacksburg. You know, you've got Lunchpail defense, you've got DBU, you've got Saxburg, and this defense is just getting run series after series. Now, it was unbelievable to me that they allowed zero points in the first quarter because it felt so much worse than that. Um, and so props to them for only giving up 14 points in this game. Um, and I'm really, really talking about the first quarter and a half of Virginia Tech defense in the latter half of the ball game I thought the defense started really turning a corner looked a lot better didn't look great but certainly looked better than than how they came out but uh, an interesting game nonetheless before we jump in what are what are your initial thoughts what I mean it's just it's crazy to see this offense continuing kind of at the clip they were it was great to see Hendon have the game that he had I think we all kind of knew that was QB1. That was a leader of the football team. But when you especially see it in action from the jump, super comforting, especially when you talk about the trajectory of the season, um, you know, how well Hendon played and how strong he looked and even just see him interacting on the sideline. Just like, yep, that's my guy. Um, running the ball, I thought he looked just tremendous. I mean, maybe it has been 
a long time since I went back and looked at his highlights last year. I feel like he looked better running the football. And I don't know if he's he had an injury that kind of nagged him during the season, but I thought he had a little bit more explosiveness than he had, which was really great to see. And then, you know, just the, the Vice squad is just so impressive. And in one play in particular was that screen pass that Herbert took for a touchdown. One, super impressive uh, from Herbert. I thought his acceleration on the play was displayed, you know, was an elite level. But the downfield blocking that you need on a screen play to come from your 6'5", 6'6", 320-pound Chris Derisaw as he's tying Khalil Herbert, getting to the goal line and shoving a man across just blew me away um, when you talk about the play from that offensive line and everything. So really just glowing reviews on the offensive side of the ball. I'm with you as far as being slightly perplexed, but um, kind of understanding that the defense is going through a scheme shift and, and, and there's some things they're working through on that end. So defense, meh, um, offense, yay. And uh, I just can't wait to see what they keep doing, man. It's crazy. Yeah, so you mentioned it. Hendon Hooker, let's talk about him first. In six quarters with Hendon Hooker at quarterback, Virginia Tech has 71 points, 766 yards, and has averaged 8.15 yards per play with zero turnovers. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And he just did a little bit of everything in this game. I mean, 164 yards on the ground, three touchdowns, 18 carries, led the team in rushing. His QBR rating, which we you know talked about last week, 86.7. That's his high, highest rating of his career. He's improving week in and week out and you mentioned it like he looks better as a runner this year well I think it's because of the offensive line play the offensive line was good last year I mean it's dominant this year so I think anybody who can run an offense at a high level which in hooker can is going to benefit from everything that this offensive line is doing for him and I think that's what we're seeing on the field so you know it it obviously just reaffirms what we already knew hooker is QB1 He's a top three quarterback in the ACC, and there, it's that's really not up for debate. I mean, behind this offensive line with this running game, I mean, we're not even using the wide receivers no, this year. No, haven't had to. I mean, they're they're just yeah. out there. I mean, there's only been eight players that have caught a pass. Right. You know, and Tavion Robinson, Trey Turner, Caleb Smith, they're the only wide receivers with a catch on the season. You know, we saw Shanga Hodge appear this week. I think it's the first game he's played. I don't recall him being on the field at all on on the offensive side of the ball. You know, it's possible I missed it, but you know, he I think he had a big penalty in this game, but that was like the first I had heard Shanga Hodge's name reference to being on the football right. field. So it's been interesting. I mean, of of the eight players, Hendon Hooker is one of them that's called a pass. So that's just the kind of year that it's been. And, you know, I don't think I have the numbers in front of me, but Virginia Tech has only attempted 86 passes through four games. I would assume that's probably the lowest in the ACC. Yeah. So, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. I'm just saying that's how dominant this ground game has been. And we'll talk about that later, but... You know, it's going to be interesting to see Virginia Tech when they go up against a team like a, a Pitt or a Miami that does a good job of stopping the run. But until then, like, I just, I don't know how Virginia Tech loses a football game if they're playing with this group of guys at this high of a level 
against a defense that's vulnerable against the run, no matter how bad their defense is, because they're not going to play a North Carolina offense really again this season until they get to Clemson. You know, Miami's a little bit of a different variant, certainly a game I'm, you know, worried about today. We'll see what happens as as we get down the road. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Virginia Tech's in very good shape right now. They're a dominant ground game, and, you know, that starts with Hendon Hooker. It does. And, you know, I, th- I think it's important to shout out, as you were mentioning, Hodge and kind of the wide receivers um, in their lack of production, which, you know, we just haven't needed to lean on them to this point in the season. I think there's plenty of playmaking ability in that room. Um, but one thing they have done, and they've done extremely well, and, and this, I think, is credit to Jafar Williams as well, they can downfield block with the best of them. And, you know, I think if you, you've had, you know, if you'd ask Khalil, if you'd even ask the offensive line, they'd probably tell you the same thing. The work those guys are putting in and the blocking side of the of the equation, which is huge when you consider the type of, of spread offense that we try to run, um, you know, just great work from them. And, and you know, it, that's going to be needed to continue to be leaned on going forward um, with the blocking downfield. But I, I do think there is playmaking ability in that room, but um, we, we just haven't really needed to lean on them. And I think... When the time comes, and this is not a a, a slight to Braxton um, when compared to Hooker. However, when the time comes where we do need to start looking out wide for some plays to keep us in ball games and, and to keep the chains moving, um, you know, Hinden is a guy that's going to get those wide receivers involved. So I, I'm not even slightly worried, obviously, about the wide receivers, uh, given the just obscene amount of production that we're seeing out of the backfield right now. Yeah, and you know, I'd said the ground game really kind of begins and ends with Hinton Hooker. It was really kind of a mis, misspoken take there. The offense running at such a high level, it begins and ends with Hinton Hooker. Yeah. The run game really is on the back of the vice squad here, and we'll talk about them now with Khalil Herbert. So Herbert's a guy, 143 yards on the ground, averaging 7.9 yards per carry, added. That was in the game last week. Added 29, uh, 29-yard touchdown cast. You know, last season, 11 carries, 187 and a touchdown against BC, 17 yards per carry. So obviously had a pretty bad day uh, on the ground, uh, if we're comparatively speaking here, which is obviously a joke. But watching Herbert, you know, specifically I'm thinking about his touchdown catch. Mm-hmm. It just looks like he's he's floating. He's just kind of finding his holes choosing where he goes onto the field, who he's going to make miss, and he just kind of glides out there. He does. It just looks like he's running amidst the clouds it, and just kind of picking and choosing where he's going to go and who he's going to make miss yeah. because he knows it's going to happen right? and he knows he's going to score. It's just the guy's vision is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. His vision is incredible. Um, you know, the other thing I think that's – that I love about watching him run, which is what really separates like a home run hitter from just your average everyday pounding running back is that sort of running to the sideline that you get between right, right at where the linebackers are to into where the secondary is where that raw acceleration kind of takes over. And you're trying to beat all the defensive backs towards the sideline to where you can make, you know, a 15 yard run into a, a 30, 40, 50 yard run. And he's got, some of the best acceleration in that specific portion of the field where it's just literally like watching a a guy getting shot out of a cannon. Um, Yeah, I I can't get enough of it. But, I mean, you're right. Even when you talk about that acceleration, it never looks like he's, you know, running extremely hard. He just looks like he's out there gliding. So 
He's second in the country in total rushing yards. The guy who's number one has played two more games and has 57 more carries and only 110 more yards. He has at least 30 less carries than everyone else in the top five. He still leads the nation in total yards per game at 962 total, 240 yards per game. He's the first Virginia Tech running back to have four straight 100-yard games since David Wilson did it in 2011. year David Wilson won the ACC Player of the Year. And... You know, I just I expect it to just keep ticking up. Sure. I mean, I, I don't see it slowing down. I think I think what Virginia Tech will have to figure out is if a team does figure out how to slow Khalil Herbert down, then you know, what what's their game plan? I I think that's when you might see them start trying to go through the air a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and you, you know, know maybe Raheem Blackshear starts to emerge. Yeah. And and he did a little I mean, he certainly popped in, in the game last week. And he's a guy, too, that I think when you talk about raw athleticism and speed and quickness, he, he certainly jumps out at you. And there's a lot we can do from him, from, you know, lining him up, you know, in the slot. I could even see him split out wide at times. He's a guy that really could take this offense from elite to just, oh, my gosh, one of the best in school history. We're not at all hitting on all cylinders right now. But I, I really, we're at the point now where I think the only way that you're going to slow this running game down is if you load the box. And if you load the box with Hendon Hooker, good luck. Because that, that's when you're going to see those wide receivers really jump off the tape at you. Because we know what Trey Turner's capable of. Um, and it's only a matter of time until others in that room begin to step up when, inevitably, uh, cheating happens on the defensive side of the ball just to try to stop this rushing attack. And it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Yeah, you know, I, I don't anticipate there being much issue in the run game, even in pass protection, until... Pitt or Miami's on the schedule and then you know let's let's see what happens but this offensive line man (laughs) just continues to dominate it's whatever that offensive line award is in college football that recognizes the entire team Clemson won it last year I can't it's like some guy's name I'll be shocked if Virginia Tech doesn't get it this year yeah I mean that's how good this entire unit is playing they gave up one sack, four tackles for loss, which I think two of those were in the first series of the second half against Herbert. Otherwise, just completely dominated this football game. I mean, the holes they're creating, just unreal. Yeah. The offensive success is all because of the dominance of this line. And, I mean, let's just put it into perspective here. In Virginia Tech's first 16 years in the ACC, they topped 300 rushing yards against the conference team two times. Hmm. And they've done it three times this year. Insane. That's all it is. Twice in 16 years, three times through four games. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what else to say. And I feel like our guys are just rotating through the PFF College Team of the Week (laughs) and the ACC Player of the Week. This week it was Doug Nestor. Of course it was. I mean, it could it could literally be the entire line. Yeah. It, who do you pick? I mean, you almost just flip a coin at this point when you're watching these games as far as which offensive lineman to honor. You know, it's just it's so impressive because I think, you know, especially with, with Vance Feist and his offensive lines, there were times as recently as, as last year, the year before, where you're frustrated on the lack of a consistent rushing attack and a lack of push, and that just is all seemingly gone this year 
Um, the blocking scheme is much more effective. The talent is crazy. You know, you talk about offensive linemen, and the, the adage basically is if you don't notice them, they're doing a good job. Well, I mean, this offensive lineman is, is the exact opposite. You can't help but notice these impact blocks, these pancakes. They're just they're opening up running lanes, like I said, that you or I could get through. Um, it's impressive. I, I still think on that Khalil Herbert screen touchdown pass, I think I would have liked to have been out there just to see how far I could have gotten. I don't know, man. I don't know. Maybe I would have snuck in. Maybe I would have snuck in. Well, you gotta you gotta think about Boston College there. I mean, they left them wide open. Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, what are you doing if you're Boston College? Like, you need to essentially be double teaming this guy. Yeah, one at one level, one at the next. Like all eyes on Khalil Herbert. Yeah. So, yeah, that was stunning to me that that even happened the way that it did. But I mean, you know, Khalil Herbert's going to get the ball. You you at least know he's going to get a look. I mean, really, if you look at Herbert, you know, I mentioned it with the top rushing guys in the country. Like, he's only got 61 carries this year. Yep. And he's got th- this kind of numbers. I mean, he's got a few catches, not many, like less than 10, but leads the country in total yards. I mean, crazy. on a per-touch basis, I don't think I've ever seen production from a player at Virginia Tech like this. I mean, it's been absolutely insane and you you just want herbert to get the ball every single time but he didn't even lead the team in rushing this week right that's how good hinden hooker was yeah so it's just absolutely nuts that virginia tech is producing like this yeah you know and, and that that's the part that amazes me too is how great Khalil has lurked looked the stats he's putting up and oh hinden hooker's first game back he just leads the team in rushing and looks great doing it better than he's ever looked rushing the ball um you know it gives you a lot to be excited about and uh yeah, I mean, with this, the the good thing is it's so sustainable because it's predicated upon this offensive line who is not only blocking at a high level, probably the deepest position group on the team, which should insulate from impact injuries, anything that could go wrong to derail this when your offensive success is predicated upon an offensive line that's deep and knows what they're doing. It's way harder to prepare for. I mean, yeah, you can shut down position groups if you have maybe uh, an average offensive line. You can key on guys, but if you have an offensive line that is taking your spy out of the equation or taking out guys that are keying on specific impact players, well, it's a whole new ball game then. And that's, I think that's what we're seeing at least early returns in the season is, holy cow, this is what a real offensive line looks like, and, and they are doing work. On the flip side, let's talk about the defense here. So the Hokies defense, the positive, forced five turnovers in the game. Yeah. And... We've got to stop with the tired what-ifs or if BC hadn't fumbled X amount of times. Like, listen, I do not give a (laughs) shit. Can I I be more clear? Okay? If we want to go back into the history of the game, Virginia Tech fumbled five times against BC. You think if they didn't fumble five times last year or turn the ball over five times, whatever it was, that they have a good chance of winning the game? Of course they right. do. I mean, what, what kind of world do we live in here? Let's live in reality. BC turned the ball over five times. Is the Virginia Tech defense supposed to apologize because <laughs> Boston College is being sloppy with the football? No. 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 Football's about opportunity. It's about making the most of the situation that comes your way. Hey, you fumble the football. You put it on the ground. We hear about, oh, there's luck with fumbles. Well, you know what? Don't put the ball on the ground. You know? That's... that's coaching that's reps in practice i mean yeah mistakes happen fumbles are forced sometimes it's you know how does that guy fumble that football 
it is what it is. But I'm just so tired of hearing, oh, well, you know, if BC didn't fumble it, I mean, Virginia Tech may lose the game. Well, if Virginia Tech hadn't turned the ball over seven times against Tennessee in the Battle of Bristol, <laughs> yeah. maybe Virginia Tech wins the game. Like, what's the point of even saying yeah. that or having that conversation? I'm just so tired of hearing that sentiment. Like, <laughs> yeah. This defense should not be apologizing for capitalizing on BC's inability to protect the football. I'm sorry. I I agree. And, you know, a lot of credit is due towards the defense who was able to force those turnovers, which seems to get lost in kind of uh, the pontificating about the defense and how they're struggling. And make no no mistake, they're struggling. They're still trying to figure things out from a scheme perspective. It's still clear that our linebackers are a little hesitant. And obviously, the longer they play in this scheme, the better that will get. But you have to give credit where credit is due in playmaking. And that's all fumbling is. I mean, if you look at, you know, fumble, high fumble counts, defenses that force fumbles, there's a lot of those defenses that show up there every year. Um, in turnovers especially, we're talking about the good defense, Brent Venables, Clemson. Those guys are always there. So credit is due to this defense for making the plays that they have made this season because they've been a playmaking defense for all but really one game. Um, you know, And they just continue to do what they do, which is make big plays when we need them, and those fumbles were, were big plays. Now, could they have played better? Absolutely. Was a lot of the stuff we saw from a yardage gains perspective discouraging? Yes, it was. Um, but you got to give credit to the defense for forcing these turnovers and, and really uh, getting the ball back into the hands of that potent offense. I mean, here's the deal. You know, we talked about how bad the defense looked in the first quarter, and, I mean, it looked horrible. Oh, yeah, bad. You know, from a, from a yards per play standpoint. They gave up 8.93 yards per play. Yeah. That's horrific. The rest of the game, only 5.63, which is much mm-hmm. better. Okay, so, you know, if you're watching the game, you started to feel like, okay, they're playing a little bit better, you know, there, there were certainly situations throughout the game where you're like, you know, that was a missed opportunity or they should have made this play, they should have made that play. You know, I felt like for for where the defense is at right now and all of the issues that they've had with COVID and whatnot, you know, it's it's a work in process. This is essentially a Big 12 level defense right now. Right. Okay, so I don't feel good about it. Even if you look at the secondary, you know, you got Divine Diablo back and his presence was felt on the field you could see the boost that he gave the defense but you still had Devin Taylor playing out of position at safety and you had Dorian Strong and Breon Murray at corner for most of the game you know Armani Chapman was in there as well you know um, Jermaine Waller and Keonta Jenkins were both out of the game but if we can get those guys back Virginia Tech can get those guys back this week against Wake next week against Louisville following week against Liberty and they can all start to get in a rhythm. I seriously doubt we're talking about a Virginia Tech defense that is seen as a big time liability for the Hokies on the football field. I think this group is going to figure it out. Now, what's been disappointing to me, the most disappointing part about this defense, has been the front six. You know, Saxburg, after the first two weeks of the season, has really cooled off. I mean, it's basically non-existent now you did have a great performance by Amari Barno who Absolutely. was wearing the 25 had a really nice game but the D-line has really just been unable to consistently get after the quarterback and I'm hoping that changes against Wake because Wake's offensive line is the second worst in the ACC um, 
and BC's isn't. So BC has a more solid offensive line, an offensive line that hasn't been great this year, but a, a decent offensive line. So take that for what it's worth. But, you know, this is a defensive line that's really only been missing Deshaun Crawford. You know, they they had some good success in the first two weeks of the season. So what's what's going on there? If you look at the linebacker position, you know, Rayshard Ashby's numbers haven't been jumping off the paper. Fuente kind of came to his defense this week in his press conference saying that, you know, it might be some of the play around him that is causing his numbers to not look so good, but he's very happy with his performance. That's good to hear. Um, and you you got to think that's going to come together. I mean, the linebackers and the defensive line, there's a lot of experience in those two groups. The defensive line obviously isn't as deep on the ends, but it's a group that right now is underperforming, and it's got to get better for this defense to really start taking a more consistent step in a positive direction. Yeah, it, it almost has to. Um, it, it really does. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where practices, we've talked about it, practices were missed, scheme was implemented. Um, maybe not in that order. Maybe it was something like a scheme was implemented. Then practices were missed. But either way, this defense is not quite gelling yet. A lot of it due to injuries. A lot of it due to missed practices. Uh, you know, and what are you going to do? The good thing, the encouraging thing was, I think after that first quarter, I almost wanted to stop watching when the Virginia Tech defense was on the field. And by the end, I thought we made some good adjustments and were able to slow them down. I think Devin Taylor looked really good alongside uh, Divine Diablo. He's one of those guys where he's maybe a tad slow for a cornerback. I'm not sure this is all just going based off of film, and he's certainly a large cornerback. So he's a guy at 6'1", 6'2", that has the frame to fill in and the size to fill in at safety. I thought he looked nice. Um, Dorian Strong, man, did he make he make a couple great pass breakups out there. Um, you know, So there's a couple of guys that are popping, which is what you want to see. But as you mentioned, I mean, you know, if you went to the doctor's office right now and sat our defense up on the table um, on that really weird papery stuff that the doctor's offices have, they would sit there and they would diagnose us with a, a broken defensive line um, and linebacking core. You know, our, our front six to seven just are not getting the job done. And, and, you know, a lot of it schematic, yada, yada, yada. But we've got to figure out how to get better. The good thing is I think we have the coaches in place necessary to – help us get where we need to get. Um, but, you know, a lot of it may be just personnel-wise, they don't have the guys that they need to do what they want to do. And so they're they're making do with what they have at the moment. And I think this is one of those situations where the Hokie defense doesn't need to all of a sudden turn into a top 40 defense overnight. If this defense can settle in somewhere between 40 and 60, with this offense that I, I truly believe is a top 10 offense in college football, um you know, we we could be sitting pretty at the end of the season, but you know that's to be determined. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we're knocking on the door. Yeah, and it's just a reverse of what we're used to. We're used to top ten defense and top fifty to sixty offense if we're lucky. So right. uh, it's just kind of a role reversal here in Blacksburg, and I I think uh, I think the defense is going to get it together. I I don't think they're going to be a top twenty five defense this year, but um, or at any point in the year is what I'm saying here, but I, I certainly think they'll be playing better uh, by hopefully mid-November, as long as, you know, COVID, uh, the COVID situation is, is friendly to them. From a Boston College standpoint, you know, what I really didn't understand about Boston College is <clears throat> why they opted to move away from the run. You know, they came in 
averaging 60 yards per game. They had 43 rushing yards in the first quarter. And then they just abandoned ship. And maybe that was because of fumbles, but your quarterback had three turnovers. Okay, so it's it's not like your turnovers were coming from outside of the quarterback position. And I like Jer- Jerkovic. I don't want him throwing the ball 51 times in any game. Right. I don't want my quarterback throwing the ball 51 times in any game at any level. <laughs> it's not a recipe for success. Right. I mean, look at Pitt. It's not working. No. You've got a great defense, in Boston College case, a good defense, and an entirely unbalanced offense. And I think that's part of the reason why Virginia Tech started to settle in a little bit, because they knew what Boston College was going to do. Of course. And I mean, it, it got to a certain point in the game to where BC had to start throwing it. But they just abandoned the run so early, where they were having success, and they just kind of shot themselves in the foot. So, or, so I mean... You know, you give up 350 yards rushing, you probably have a 1% chance of winning the football game. You throw in the five turnovers, the game's over. Like, you're not going to win that right. game. Give up 350 on the ground and have five turnovers. There is no way you're winning that football game unless you're playing, like, I don't know, a video game. That's the <laughs> only way that I see it as being a possibility. Right. So, uh, you know, BC certainly has some some things to work on, and they're they're just unbalanced and if you look around the ACC there's quite a few unbalanced offenses and they're teams that they look really good one week and then you're like how did they lose that game and this is why because they start relying too heavily on one facet of their game and defenses are able to kind of read that a little bit so I think BC's got to get that under control I think there's some potential here with BC um, but yeah I, I just the the balance thing was just kind of driving me I mean, I liked it because my my team was playing them. But if I'm a BC fan, I'd, I'd be going crazy. Like, why aren't we running the football? Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's certainly balance. I'm a big fan of in college football. If you can do running and passing well, I think you stand a better chance than a team that wants to pigeonhole itself, whether it be a triple option team and Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech, or you know, an all out air raid like Mike Leach. I, I think that can play against you sometimes and it's certainly when you're not as specialized as the two teams I mentioned you know Boston College last year was running an offense nowhere close to what they're attempting to run this year so you 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 think like going just off the deep end into what seems like an air raid at least the volume of passing would be an odd match and it certainly has has played that way so far you know this season for them and um, you know I'm not on their coaching staff I can't speak to why they aren't running a more balanced approach but you think with the talent they have in the backfield in uh, that you know offensive line that certainly can block uh, well in the run game, I have no idea what's going on. But like you said, I was fine with it. Uh, it certainly uh, allowed our defense, I think, time to get comfortable with what their game plan was. And uh, you know, like you said, they got to a point where they had no choice, so they had to keep leaning into the throw. So that's it for that game. Let's jump into Week Seven, uh, the Week Seven recap here, Tim. So. Uh, the big stunner of the week, Florida State 31, North Carolina 28. So the Seminoles finally have a pulse. You know, they they woke up. It's the 2020 football season, and they're here. Mac Brown now 0-10 all-time against Florida State. Florida State was up 24 points in this game. And I think I had the tweet out there, they're going to lose. <laughs> you did. And that was almost the case. I mean, UNC, they came fighting back, and... 
you know, what what stalled drives for them last week against Virginia Tech, the only thing, because the Virginia Tech defense couldn't stop them, was drops. And on the last drive of this Oof. game, Sam Howell put the ball on the money three times in a row, yep. and his receivers yep. dropped it every single time. <laughs> yeah. And they had a turnover downs, and that was the game. Yeah. So just a, a horrible horrible way for UNC to go out I mean go out and you know get stopped at the goal line as time expires don't drop the ball three times in a row yeah huge upset FSU 241 on the ground uh the defense did a pretty nice job of getting pressure on Sam Howell and you know otherwise for the most part how just he wasn't that good in this game he hasn't been great all season um but really it's this game is for me what makes the ACC the ACC because it's so hard to predict what's going to happen week to week. It is. Yeah, it's the ACC wheel of doom spinning yet again. Um, you know, I thought Travis looked good for Florida State, especially running the ball. He certainly got that quickness and that playmaking ability that can help out, especially behind an offensive line that isn't the greatest blocking offensive line in the history of football. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where you talk about constantly FSU has playmakers all over the field. Well, you kind of saw it, especially on the defensive side. There seemed to be a team like UNC can overmatch some teams occasionally with their speed. With Florida State, that's not going to happen. Florida State, a very, very uh, fast team when it comes to just raw speed. And like you said, Howell, he wasn't good in the game, but it's not a situation where you look at him and say it's such a bad sophomore slump. We can't even recognize the guy. You can see Sam, the Sam of last year, uh, coming out. You can see him in there, and then he gets into the last drive, and he's you know, hurt by his his players dropping balls were three beautifully thrown balls uh, that would have kept the momentum going and probably have them win in the game. Um, and it was the backbreaker. that That's really what did him in. So, you know, Florida State, their takeaways here is, hey, they compete. They beat a great team. I think their issue is going to be how do we get more success through the air? Because it seemed to me at times that Travis was just way off the mark when it comes to passing. And I'm not sure that's super sustainable moving forward. Um, but, you know, they hung on. And, and just being able to get that game across for Florida State is, is a huge boost uh, to Norvell and company, a team that had to be hanging their heads uh, based on the results early in the season. And I think, you know, UNC, for me, this is a head-scratcher for them. Um, you know, I, I felt that they should have won this game. I did think it was going to be closer than I think everybody thought. But I didn't think they were going to lose, and now they're going to be sitting next week trying to figure out how to get that old Sam Hill back in that offense clicking. But a really, really exciting game to watch. Yeah, Sam Howell and Trevor Lawrence kind of uh, remind me of each other a little bit because they both had really good freshman years. And, um, you know, Lawrence was a guy who struggled in the first half of last season, his sophomore year. Um, people forget that because it sounds like Trevor Lawrence can do no wrong. But <laughs> they do. He struggled. They did. I uh, through the first seven games. And, uh, you know, Howell's dealing with that right now. So can he turn it around? I'm sure he can. Uh, will he is is the other question wake 40 uva 23 uh this game was back and forth for about three quarters and then wake just kind of blew the game open in the fourth capitalizing on uva turnovers so uva was without brennan armstrong uh you know i thought they did a pretty nice job of mixing in various guys at quarterback which kept wake pretty honest and i'd be kind of surprised if they don't try and do that going forward a little bit because it really helped them out in the run game they had 218 yards on the ground which for UVA is like 800 yards uh they just don't do that so the big thing for UVA sloppy performance missed opportunities yet again it's been kind of the story of the season for them so three turnovers on the day Wake had their issues as well 
Didn't have any turnovers. 12 penalties, 119 Whew. yards. That is terrible. That's getting it done. Either way, big win for Wake. They moved to 2-2 two and two on the season. For UVA, hey, you, you got to be concerned here. You're reeling. You've got a big game against Miami this week. If you don't win that, you're 1-4. So that's not good. You had all that momentum from last season. All of those things you finally did, which I'm not going to mention. <laughs> and now you look like Syracuse. Yeah. Yeah. You're trending like Syracuse. They are. That, that's where UVA is right Certainly now. not as offensive to the eye test, but nonetheless, a, a team that's certainly slipping. And, and you hate to see a quarterback go down, in their case, Brennan Armstrong, a guy that while he was turning the ball over was clearly, I think, the best of the bunch. I don't think there's any argument from anybody on that case. But, you know, we did get to see a couple different quarterbacks. I wish they would go to, like, a normal, uh, conventional quarterback numbering scheme because seeing 36 and 98 throwing passes will never just not irk me into oblivion. But Ira Newsom, or Ira Armstead, I'm sorry, the I think he's number 98. Uh, he got a little electricity to him. I think I liked him better than Stone. Um, he looks like a guy that can certainly be a playmaker for them. And, and you know, I really like the guy. Um, you know, I thought he's one of those guys make plays with his legs through the air, obviously kind of a Bronco Mendenhall type quarterback, but you know, there was something special. There was a spark to him. That was good to see. Um, but again, the turnovers, like you said, just complete backbreakers for them. So they continue their slide. And now this season, which was, you know, going to be more establishing the tradition and keeping the, the boat going in the right direction is turning into a fight for your life to get back to 500 for UVA. And, I'm not so sure at this point they're going to be able to pull it off. Yeah, so I think what Tim is trying to say is just not a whole lot of rock smashing going on. Maybe a lot of (laughs) locker slamming, but not a lot of rock smashing. That's right. Uh, Clemson 73, Yellow Jackets 7. Oof. Oh, boy. That hurts. Um, Yellow Jackets at 7 first downs the entire game. They gave up 671 yards, 500 through the air. Uh, It was just the drumming. And uh, just to add insult to injury, Trevor Lawrence said they should have probably had 14 more points after the game. So I think the worst part of the day for Clemson is Lawrence threw a pick. I kind of, this is my thought process on this game, Tim. I think Dabo wanted to make a statement against the program that he may or may not feel somewhat threatened by the momentum that they're gaining in the recruiting trail. I think he can sense what is happening at Georgia Tech. They're in fertile recruiting country uh, in that ACC, SEC area. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, not that Clemson should be threatened by Georgia Tech. not saying that, but I think this was a statement game. I also think the other thing is, Clemson has not played anybody this year <laughs> outside of Miami. No, no one. They've played the Citadel, Georgia Tech, one win UVA, and somebody at Wake Forest. I mean, that's two, three, four, five wins total yeah. if you take out the Miami game. So, I mean, Clemson just hasn't been tested. I mean, the Miami game, I'll give it to them. That was by far their best opponent. Um, but that's it. So I, I think Clemson, 
need some style points here, uh, especially as the Big Ten kind of gets started again and things like that. Not that if Clemson goes undefeated that they have anything to worry about, but I think it's just about keeping the guys fresh and let's let's see what kind of damage we can do. And they got Syracuse this week, so we'll we'll see how long they keep the foot on the pedal there. Yeah, and you know that's not you're just not making that up, man. I mean, that North Georgia, heck, the whole state of Georgia is such a key recruiting area for Clemson. Um, that yeah, they were going out to make a statement because Georgia Tech is recruiting well, and they're recruiting the same area. So sure, you you, you put a licking on on guys that are kind of competing for the same recruits. That's fine. Uh, they sure did it. You know, the Yellow Jackets just looked miserable. But again, it, it's hard to really complain too much about a coach in his second year being completely outmatched by a national powerhouse like Clemson. Uh, so Clemson marches on, and Georgia Tech's left to lick their wounds. The stinker of the week. Notre Dame 12. Louisville 7. <laughs> you know what? If If Notre Dame were a Fortune 500 company and their stock was relatively stable, I'd go ahead and I would sell every single last share of it because I feel like this team is a fraud. You can see it coming. I'm tired of waiting for this team. I'm tired. I mean, Louisville, their defense is atrocious. And they're offensive. And I'm not... I'm not taking anything away from whatever their defense was able to do in this game. Notre Dame is currently ranked. Last week, they were number four. They're now number... How you get moved up in the poll after this? Louisville has one win. Luck of the Irish. And you beat them by five? Yeah. They just haven't looked good all season. They had 338 total yards. Hats off. To the Louisville D again for stepping up, but Kieran Williams is the only bright spot on this team. Went for over 100 yards in this game. Cardinals only got 96 on the ground. Their fourth straight loss, Notre Dame, 12 points scored. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. If I'm Notre Dame, I'm thinking my lucky charms. I haven't played anybody yet, <laughs> but I'm worried because I'm playing Pitt next week, and they take away what we do best on That's offense, right. which is running the football. That's right. And we don't do jack through the air. Yeah. I mean, you've mentioned style points. Notre Dame's a team that could use some style points at this point because everybody's kind of looking at them funny. A little side-eyed because I think everybody can see the usual, which is Notre Dame is around halfway through a season and they're vastly overrated. Um, You know, a tale as old as time. In this case, it doesn't really warm the hearts. But it's so surprising to see what the Louisville defense was able to do in this game that you really just got, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you got to sit back and say, oh boy, uh, these are going to be an interesting last five or six weeks here to this football season. Um, but, you know, credit to, to Louisville's defense here because the, that was completely out of left field. If you told me this was going to be a five-point game, I would have told you it ended 38-33, to not 12-7. to But here we are. 12-7. to I mean, just ridiculous. Sell whatever stake you have in Notre Dame because... Reality's coming, yeah. and it's going to happen this week. Miami 31, Pitt 19. Derek King, four touchdowns. Miami only 109 on the ground, uh, which, again, not surprising. Pitt's rush defense is best in the nation. Yep. Okay. They're vulnerable through the air. And I thought they were better through the air, but not very good. No Kenny Pickett in this one. Uh, he was out due to an ankle injury. 
uh, ankle injury, not industry. <laughs> so, you know, it's frustrating to me because Pitt just can't run the football. They're like Boston College. Yep. But Pitt's problem is they just can't run the football. They're, they're not opting not to. They yeah, can't do yeah, it. Yeah, they physically can't. 26 attempts, 22 yards. You have a freshman quarterback making his first start and you throw the ball 46 times? You can't win that way, Narduzzi. Like, the Mark Whipple experiment, let's go ahead and chalk that up. As a yeah. It ain't working. No. Okay? Defensively, this year, Pitt has been a disappointment defending the pass. There's no other way around it. Um, I mean, King had four touchdowns through the air. Miami looks like a top three team in the ACC. Pitt still think they can throw a wrench in, into things. You know, they're obviously not going to win the ACC this year. But they dropped to 3-3, three and 2-3 three, and three in the ACC overall now. And, you know, I don't know where Pitt goes from here. I do like the matchup against Notre Dame. I do like Pitt to win these kind of one-off games. Um, but that's about it. That's, that's all we're going to get out of Pitt this season. So, yeah, I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Pitt really is just a glorified matchup problem at this point. The, the team, as a sum of all its part, is not very good. But if you consider how well they defend the run, for run-heavy teams, they're going to create problems, like you mentioned, looking ahead this week with what's going to go on with Notre Dame. Pitt's about as bad of a matchup as you could hope if you're Notre Dame, um, just because of what they've been able to do on the ground and how much they've been able to limit uh, production and rushing attacks. So, you know, the writing looks to be on the wall for the Whipple experiment. The offense just can't seem to get out of its own way. Um, and it's just amazing to see a team this inept at running the football. Well, I should say it's an, it's amazing to see a pit team this inept at running the football. Um, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better from here. So, uh, you know, tough game ahead from Pitt. I think Miami is a good shout for top three in the ACC. Derek King is is a dynamic guy, to say, to say the least. But, um, you know, a shame because you could see this game being a bit closer if Pickett was able to play. Maybe Pitt sneaks away with a win here. Um, but they just didn't have what they needed on offense to get it done. NC State 31, Duke 20. Duke hung tough in this game, uh, but NC State was able to pull away even after Devin Leary left with a uh, devastating injury. Broken uh, broken fibula uh, hit um, by a defender who was called for targeting. Uh, this is a guy who uh, you know didn't start the season as a starter. Bailey Hockman was the guy, but ended up throwing for 879 and eight touchdowns in the last couple of weeks and really uh, a big reason why NC State is now 4 and 1 in the ACC which is uh I'd say the surprise team in the conference this year so a uh, huge loss for the Wolfpack there um back to the Bailey Hockman experiment and you know we'll we'll see what that means for them going forward yeah i think something to keep your eye on Ryan Finley's brother Ben Finley is a true freshman uh, that that Doran has had uh, really kind things to say about. If Bailey continues to struggle, I could see a scenario in which Ben gets in just because of his playmaking ability with his feet. Uh, but if you're talking about NC State as a whole, I, I think going into this season, there are NC State fans out there that would have snatched your arm off if you offered four wins total. Um, now that they're sitting at four and one and ranked surprisingly within the top 25, and I mean, surprising if you frame it or frame it around the lack of uh, wins last year and just the discombobulation that we saw from the Wolfpack last year, it's crazy. So to see them have this success is, is really great. Dave Doran, who I personally think is a good coach, uh, really showing kind of his guile with some really good moves on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball from a coaching staff standpoint, 
And one thing I think you're really seeing over the course of the year from NC State that's really helping them out is an evolution of a defense that had some COVID losses, that missed some practice time, that's changing to a, a new 3-3-5 scheme with Tony Gibson at the helm, um, who seem to be hitting their stride in the playmaking category and and everything's starting to click a little bit for the Wolfpack. And, and you know, good timing for them as far as clicking goes because they're going to need every bit of talent they have on that roster to go toe-to-toe with UNC this coming week. Liberty 38, Syracuse 21. Uh, the Orange gave up 338 on the ground. Just an absolutely pathetic performance. Uh, this game was never in doubt. Syracuse now 1-4, no hope in sight. Uh, if you're Dino Babers, man, you've really got to be questioning what you were thinking after the 2018 season because, I mean, he had to see that that something was about to be happening that wasn't as positive as what, as what happened in Syracuse. We were we were pinning Dino Babers as one of the best coaches in college football after yeah. 2018. Yeah. And and look at this. Yeah. You you either I mean, die a hero or there. you stay long enough to become the Dino Babers. Yeah. They're just he hasn't even been there that long. That's the no. thing. So it happens fast. Uh yeah, Syracuse, wow. Just, no, just a disaster. Terrible. You know, I, I let's think... uh let's jump into the Virginia Tech versus Wake preview Again. here, Tim. So this game, 3.30, watch ESPN, unfortunately. I hate when games are on watch <laughs> ESPN. Uh, Hokies are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, opening thoughts here. So Virginia Tech should beat Wake. There's nothing else really to it. I think Wake is a more balanced version of Boston College. Um, doesn't really do anything spectacular. You know, they have a really bad offensive line. Uh, second worst in the ACC. They've got a good quarterback, uh, pretty solid middle of the road ACC quarterback in Sam Hartman. Doesn't have a lot of guys to throw to. Um, and they've got a decent run game, you know, at times, depending on who they're playing. So, you know, the Demon Deacons, they're averaging 40 points per game, which is good. They're giving up almost 30. You know, pretty much the same as Virginia Tech on paper. Uh, their losses are to Clemson and NC State. Their wins are against Campbell and UVA. Against Campbell, they put up 66. And, of course, they've got the best name in the ACC, Boogie Basham, who <laughs> is a Roanoke native um, and one of the best defensive ends in the country. So um, those are kind of my opening thoughts about Wake, Tim. I don't know if there's anything that you want to hit that's not kind of outlined in, in where we're going, but what, what's your initial take on Wake? You know, Wake's a, I think Wake is tricky. You know, they're not good. They're not a good football team. They aren't always a good football team, but Wake is always tricky. Um, you know, they, they they're run well coached. In, right, they are, and that's part of the reason. They have the longest mesh point in college football. They run one of the better RPO systems, I think, in college football to the point where it can be infuriating to play against because they run the quick, short-route passing RPO system that really, really attacks the edges of the defense. So, you know, my initial thoughts are, you know, defensive end play is going to be huge here on the RPO. Assignments are going to be big, um, and it's going to be one of those things where we're going to need to set the edge to limit the offense, and, yeah, it's tricky to do against Wake Forest no matter how good or bad the results they have in any season. It's always going to be tricky. Yeah, so the first matchup I'm looking for here, we've we've talked about this extensively through the show, uh, the Wake offensive line against this Hokies defensive line. Can the Hokies defensive line 
reemerge this week? Can it take advantage of this group? You know, Amari Bonner seems to be emerging. Can Justice Reed, Emmanuel Belmar, the two starters at the end position, can they reappear? This Wake offensive line, they're giving up four sacks per game. That ranks 74th out of 76 FBS teams that have played this year. You know, Pete B. from 2D Peta had a good stat that I'm going to snag here. Wake is giving up a sack on every 7.6 pass attempts, which is second worst in the ACC behind Syracuse, of course. So the Hokies, in comparison, are at 14.1. So there is certainly the potential there for this defense to get back on track. And I'm hoping this is the week they should be able to pressure Sam Hartman. You know, we'll talk about the rushing game in a little bit. I think Wake does have the potential to rely on the run, and I think they will in this game. Um, and so how the defensive line adjusts to that. But this defensive line should be much better than this Wake offensive line. And, you know, if they don't win the battle, I'm going to be very concerned about this particular group going forward. Yeah, as you should be. You know, I think the stat you brought up was was really impactful. Um, you know, seven dropbacks to 14 as far as sacks go. That That's crazy. Um, that, that's a huge discrepancy, and it's one of those where the edge rushers especially become so important in a four-down scheme against Wake Forest where, you know, there are going to be plays with the RPO where they're going to be need to be extremely drilled on whether or not to set the edge, take the quarterback, or take the running back. And Wake is a team that loves to play towards that confusion, so it's going to be super important to keep these guys well-drilled. And, you know, that is where the game is going to be won or lost. It is going to be how well does our defense, specifically that front seven, sort of deal with that quote-unquote trickiness that I mentioned earlier. And it happens there in that match point, in that RPO scheme. And, you know, we'll see if we're able to make an impact. But if you're Justice Reed, um, you know, Emmanuel Belmar, you're salivating. You want to get out there against uh, Wake Forest and hopefully pad the sack stats a little bit. You know, I think this is... This is a system that is going to limit Amari Barno a little bit because I think Amari's specialty is pass rushing on passing downs where there's a clear drop back. Here, especially with the quicker guys, it can be a little bit difficult to nail down what to do, especially if you get a jump on the guy in the backfield. Um, so it may it may throw a wrench in what is typically a quick playing player, um, but I, I think we should see big numbers from the defensive line here. So the rushing defenses are number two on my list. So again, Virginia Tech has struggled against the run this year. I think everybody knows that. Um, You know, BC just abandoned the run last week, so I think the numbers would probably be worse had that not happened. But the Hokies are giving up 192 yards per game on the ground. Wake is averaging almost 200 yards per game given up. So I think there's a really good shot that Virginia Tech – gets at least 200 yards rushing. I think there's a good chance that they get 300 again. And I mean, it, that sounds crazy to say. I think it's a, there's a good chance Virginia Tech gets 300 yards rushing this week. I mean, that's that's not normal, um, but it's becoming normal for the Hokies. So based off of what we've seen, um, I'm not going to say it's an expectation, but I think the lowest rushing total the Hokies have had this year was around 250 yards. So... Um, I expect them to go over that number here. I think the Hokies defensive line gets a bit of a boost. Uh, it sounds like Deshaun Crawford's going to be back this week, and 
you know, he was uh, a star for them last year, and he's been battling an injury. So uh, I certainly think his presence could uh, could bring a nice, you know, added boost to the Hokies' defensive front. Um, but yeah, I mean, the front six of the Hokies' D, it's been disappointing. They got to get better. You know, they've they've got two pretty solid running backs they're going up against in Kenneth Walker and um, Christian Beal Smith. So. Wake can run the ball. I think that's what they're going to rely on the most. And if they don't find success, I think it might be a pretty long day for the Demon Deacons. So, yeah, Wake, I mean, you mentioned their issues with the run. And, you know, certainly with the Hokies' success, especially on the ground at this point in the season, it could be kind of like the scenario I mentioned before where we could see Wake kind of cheating, loading the box. So, you know, there's kind of a, a good chance I see, too, of this being a game where we could finally see that breakout from the wide receiving core. So that, I think, is something else, you know, to keep your eye on is does Wake overcommit to stopping the run to the benefit of our wide receivers? Yeah, and I mean, that, that kind of just takes us into the rushing offenses. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of rushing yards put up in this game um, on both sides. And, uh, again, I, I think there's a good chance Virginia Tech goes over 300. Um, it'll be the fourth time in five games. You know, Walker and uh, Beal Smith for the Demon Deacons have combined for 11 touchdowns and 649 yards on, on the season, so there's certainly some damage they can do. Walker coming off a 128-game, three-touchdown game against uh, the Cavaliers last week. So um, there's going to be a focus on the run. Virginia Tech, I'd say that's where they're probably most vulnerable right now, which is saying something considering the uh, the lack of playmakers they have in the secondary and just of – you know, game, game reps that they've had this season. So, um, you know, I, I am certainly concerned about it. I think Virginia tech will figure it out. Um, I, I just, I'm putting some stock into the fact that they've got these guys who are getting more reps in practice and they're starting to get their legs under them. And, you know, they've got a few games under their belt now. And for the most part, everybody has now played this season on the defense. That's going to play. Um, it's just about, playing every single week so um I think Virginia Tech is more talented overall than than Wake Forest even on the defensive side of the ball compared to their offense they just need to make it all mesh and I think the first thing to make that really stand out is stopping the run yeah it's going to be huge when you talk about Wake that's what they're going to try to do um and they are you know we mentioned it they're well coached so it will be tricky and you know you certainly will hope that the defense on our side is is trained up and coached well enough to be able to compete with it. You know, I don't think that Wake is on the same level as far as, you know, challenging us on talent. I think they can make up for some of that, but not all of it with coaching. But I still expect a good win here. You know, I don't know about you, but when I put all this together in my head, this really feels like a three-touchdown win to me. Um, You know, something like 31-10, to 38-17 feels right to me. Um, But given the way this offense has performed, I could be undershooting that by about 20 points. Yeah, I mean, I expect a, a heavy dosage of the ground game, whether that's Hendon Hooker, Khalil Herbert. Um, you know, I think Boogie Basham is somebody to certainly watch for Wake. He's a dynamic talent, but at the end of the day, he's just one guy. And this offensive line group is too good uh, to to be dominated by one person. Um, I, I mentioned it. I, just, I want to see the defense build off of last week. I hope to see Jermaine Waller back. I hope to see him and Chapman both starting at corner. Shamari Connor had a great game last week against uh, Boston College, was named to the All-ACC team. You know, I, I, I think I think the defense 
can hopefully build off the last three quarters, start trending in the right direction. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a three touchdown win. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I've got a 24 point win here that I wrote down. Um, so 48, 24 is my prediction here for the Hokies. Um, nine and a half point favorite, you know, it could certainly be, uh, they could certainly score more points. I I don't think wake is much of a threat to them defensively. And and that's, what's really going to carry Virginia tech in this game. I just don't see how this wake defense has any shot against slowing down this Virginia tech offense. Um, and really just on the defense side of the ball, Virginia tech just has to play smarter, has to play cleaner. Um, and I, I think they'll figure it out. So 24 points, maybe more. I wouldn't be surprised if Wake scored a few more points in this game, but 48-24 seemed like a pretty good lock-it-in score for me for this one. Sure. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised. All right, so let's hit on Week 8 in the rest of the ACC real quick here. So uh, Syracuse at number 1 Clemson. Um, that's that's not really much I want to talk about there. 45.5-point favorite for the Tigers. We've got uh, number 23 NC State at number 14 North Carolina. We kind of discussed that one a little bit earlier. UNC obviously coming off the loss to FSU. No Devin Leary for NC State. And uh, the most vulnerable part about Wolfpack really this year is is their defense. So what can uh, Carolina do to combat that? Uh, The other game that I'm really most interested in uh, this week is Notre Dame at Pitt. So how a team moves up in the polls to to number three from number four after that performance last week just absolutely yeah it it just it just rocks my soul yeah because i i know it's all about the brand that's the only reason and it it is and the brand is strong if if that's the result because that was one of the most putrid box scores in games because i watched the condensed game because i hate myself um that i've ever put myself through so immense torture and as we mentioned before, tough matchup for Notre Dame. So will they get their just desserts? I think they will here. Yeah, I'm gonna call I'm gonna call it they're gonna lose the game. Um so I, I, I think Pitt is a bad matchup for them. Uh they rely too heavily on the run. Ian Book just says he's got a clutch factor about him, but man, he's just been not good this yeah, year. Just, not good. I mean average would be a compliment for yeah. him at this point. So yeah. Um, this game will probably be loaded with defense. It's probably not going to be super fun to watch. Probably not a ton of points, but uh, is what it is. And then, of course, the late game, UVA at Miami. Um, Miami's 11.5-point favorite. Don't know what your take is on that one, but there's no reason to expect UVA has any shot of winning that one. No, I mean, my, my take is pretty clear. I think Miami, the, the talent gulf between Miami and UVA is huge, even when UVA is healthy. When they're entering the game with questions surrounding their starting quarterback, will he play, won't he play, will he be 100%, I think it's pretty easy to take the nod here. And and 11.5 feels like the right kind of spread to me. So let's jump into our doing line segment, Tim. So I had a pretty good week last week. I went 3-2. and I had the extra game because of Coastal Carolina getting pushed out, uh, which they did. Uh, cover for me and then you went two and two so we both lost the pit game i actually thought we had won that but the spread was 10 not 12 ah. Ah. i thought it was 12 and a half uh you lost georgia you won nc state and louisville i also won nc state one wake one coastal carolina and then smu really let me down uh they did win in overtime but uh them and pit were my two losses so i jumped to 10 and 13 overall i took the lead Wow. I think for the first time this season, you're like nine, that. thirteen, and one. Um, so, I mean, what do you have to say for yourself? I'll let you go first. Well, one, I'm ashamed. 
the, the first and foremost, that's the initial feeling. Two, I'm, I'm demanding a recount. I'm not sure I'm going to accept the results at the end of the season. Uh, there may be no peaceful transition uh, here. That, that I can say. Now, I will dive into this and say, obviously, i got to have a good week here. Hopefully, we'll take no losses. Um, but, you know, we'll start it out with an easy one, what I think is an easy one, which we've just alluded to. Pitt 10.5 versus Notre Dame feels like a steal right now to me. Yeah, I mean, I've got that one, too. Um, I expect Kenny Pickett to be back. I mean, he was questionable for last week. Uh, I was surprised he didn't play. He should definitely be playing unless it's a much worse injury than we're familiar with. But, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting Pitt and Narduzzi to come out ready for that one and uh, and to shut Notre Dame down. So uh, Pitt plus 10.5, I've got it as well. Yeah, and then we talked about it before. I hate, hate, hate picking the Hokies in anything, and I usually try to avoid it. Um, but when I see a nine-point spread, Hokies favored against a team like Wake Forest, with our offense at the playing at the level it's playing now, um, our defense be darned in this case, I'm going to take the Hokies plus nine against Wake Forest all day. Yeah, I've got it too. And uh, like you, I hate even approaching Virginia Tech as a uh, as a uh, betting opportunity here, but... Nine points, it just it feels like this team is going to score too many points for Wake to keep it within nine points. So uh, I feel comfortable about it. Um, I'm not like super antsy about this one. If it was uh, any higher than that, I'd probably stray away. Um, I'd, I'd maybe go up to 10 or 11, but yeah. any higher than 11, I'd probably bow down. Yeah. What's your, la- what's your last ACC pick? Last ACC pick, I'm going with Boston College minus three and a half versus Georgia Tech. I feel like this is a game Boston College should easily be able to win by at least a touchdown. That's my reasoning there. Um, you know, when you're talking about a battle of the quarterbacks right now, obviously Jerk Fitch is playing a little better. Um, you know, clean up some of the turnovers, and I think you're going to be doing really well. You know, an Eagle should be leaving happy after this one. Um, you know, Georgia Tech, again, turnover is such an issue, and that team is as far as teams go, is in such a weird spot with their coaching staff, the transition from a triple option scheme, young players all over the field. This just feels to me like a touchdown win for Boston College. So I'll take them minus three and a half versus the uh, Yellow Jackets. Yeah, I wanted to take that one. Um, I had it down for a while, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going Clemson minus 45 and a half. I would typically never take that. But I think Clemson is on a we have to score a lot of points now to make sure that we start to get some respect. And Fair point. You know, I, I think – I don't know if it's about locking up the Heisman for Trevor Lawrence. I think he didn't really play a full game until the UVA game. Right. You know, so um, I think they're going to keep their foot on the accelerator until they need to take it off, which I, I don't see them taking off for the rest of the year. I think they're going to try to start embarrassing teams. Um, and there, there was no reason to think that they put up 73 against Georgia Tech. They're going to stop against a, a Syracuse team that has given them some issues over the last couple of seasons. But there, there is no chance <laughs> Syracuse puts up any kind of a fight in this game. I mean, I think Clemson almost had 42 points by halftime against Georgia Tech. I expect that to be the same against this uh, pretty pathetic Syracuse team. So uh, we'll see what happens there. What's your random pick of the week? So, you know, in life, when you have a clear weakness, as I do when it comes to picking SEC games, you throw all your money into the hat and double down on your weakness. So I'm diving right back into the SEC. I like the lane train uh, against Auburn, plus three. 
Auburn really hasn't been super impressive to me, and I feel like their passing offense is all sorts of just all over the place right now. They're going up against the perfect team if you're having any sort of struggles through the air in Ole Miss, a team that can't seem to stop anyone. But I do love what Lane Kiffin does through the air. This feels like a high-scoring game to me, um, but certainly one I expect Ole Miss to win by a touchdown. So for me, that's an easy pick. Lane Train, Ole Miss, plus three, hotty toddy, going with the Rebels or Auburn. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty bitter. At Ole Miss. They they let me down big time last week. Their quarterback had six interceptions uh, against Arkansas. Um, I saw that game, and uh, yeah, I mean, Auburn is just. And I yeah. think uh, I think it's time to move on there. <laughs> it's tough. Um, my my pick is Illinois plus twenty. Um, it's not because I'm feeling sentimental about moving from Chicago. Uh, if you recall, Illinois beat Wisconsin last season. I feel like 20 points is a lot uh, in the first game of the year, especially against uh, a team minus Jonathan Taylor touchdown. So um, I was going to stray away from the Big Ten, but I just saw that. I figured, you know what, why not? Let's take a flyer. I didn't see a ton of spreads that I really loved this week, Tim. No, neither did uh, I. To be honest with you, it seemed like kind of a challenging week. So, um until we see things kind of uh, come together there in the Big Ten, it's a little bit of a risk, but I'm going to go Illinois plus 20 to um, kind of build off a of last season's victory over the Badgers of Wisconsin. Well, you know, Justin, I feel like as long as we've done this, you at least owe it to our podcast listeners to be honest with them. And you can clearly come out and, and tell us the real reason you chose the Illinois uh, Fighting Illini is because you are a closet Lovey Smith fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, my Green Bay Packer fandom definitely uh, buys into that theory. Yeah, but uh, you know, I I do love the look that Lovey's got right oh, now. Man. Like the Santa Claus beard. Me too. It's just like as white as snow. It's Ultimate great. football guy. I, I love, love it. Love it. So that's our show for today, Tim. Any any final words before we close this one out? Not really. I just had a thought. You know. People hearken back to the good old days when they talk about college football and they romanticize these Army-Notre Dame matchups from 1938 where both teams scored a combined like three field goals and it was a thrilling 6-3 to victory. And, you know, if you're hard up on that kind of nostalgia, check out Pitt and Notre Dame this weekend. You might get what you want. Oh, yeah. And I don't even know if it's going to be so much smash mouth football. It's just penalties and <laughs> just flailing you know, about on the field. Bombs and yeah. Brian Kelly, you know, looking like an angry Smurf at times. So <laughs> it's uh, that'll that'll just be a fun game to watch the sidelines on. To Gosh. be honest, so. I mean that is the grumpiest head coaching matchup of all time. Narduzzi yeah, and Brian it's, Kelly. It's I mean, there. positive thoughts will not be flying about on Saturday. That is for sure. I hate when I'm. I'll be watching the Notre Dame game and they'll show like the quote unquote halftime speech of Brian Kelly. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yes, I do. Oh, it just infuriates me. I'm like, who in their right mind is buying that this was the halftime speech? (laughs) Yeah. They're they're not showing the (laughs) wall. It's so sterile. Five foot hole through it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, he he definitely goes on a Kyle rage every halftime. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but they got to have the sterile made for TV version as well. Yeah, I, I guess it's just so overly produced to me. It just drives me nuts, <laughs> but that is our show for today. We are chowder and grits, the podcast for Virginia tech and ACC sports. 
Uh, there's a lot of things we uh, we we don't really want from you. There's only one thing we really do. Tim, why don't you tell us what that is? Five-star reviews. Leave them. Leave comments. It doesn't matter what you listen on. Leave that five-star review. We really appreciate it. We love doing this. Um, and that's all we ask. So if you could, just hook us up with a five-star review, comments, communicate with us on Twitter, interact with us. We love it. Saturdays are a fun time on our Twitter handle. Uh, Justin does 95% of the tweeting and does a fantastic job, I might add. So show us some love. We'll be there every Saturday from now until I guess we get bored of doing this. So a long time from now. Yeah, long time. Five stars, everybody. That's all we need. And uh, again, any negative comments, just go ahead and send those to us via DM, and, and we'll take those on the chin there. Not not in the podcast comments, though. Uh, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Again, we're Chowder and Grits. Check us out anywhere you listen to podcasts. And, of course, head over to Twitter and interact with us there. See you guys later. Go to Hell Carolina.